Thank you, Meredith. Well, as uh, discussed this morning, um, and for reasons that I will tell you after service, I will be glad to tell you after service, it is at this time that I would like to welcome Pastor Steve Schilling to come up and to deliver this morning's message. Well, good morning and welcome to those whom we know and, and, and are mo I'm most grateful for you being here. Thank you. And Norman, we're good. I'm glad to see you. You might be disappointed you wanted to hear Pastor Mike, but now you have an excuse to come back. There you go. All right. Let me preface this first by saying why I'm here. This has got to be the hardest surprise I think I could have kept. Um, my, uh, I'm here because tomorrow will be 30 years that Olivia and I are married. <laughs> yeah, she deserves all the credit, so there you go. Um, but what it is is that a few weeks ago we went to a wedding, and it was for our neighbor's uh, daughter who got married. And, of course, you go into the church, and almost all weddings have the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and talking about love and, and it's a beautiful chapter that Paul writes and as a young couple stands up there before uh, God and, and friends and family and hears those words, they all kind of floating on air. Yes, love is wonderful and it is all great. And I must say that it gives a picture of idyllic love to a young couple to everybody in attendance who hears those words. And I'm sure that everyone that heard those words would say amen and that they would agree and yes. Uh, this time, though, as I sat there and listened to the words in a wedding uh, ceremony, I sat there and I said to myself, self, after 30 years of marriage, how do those words sound? Do they still make sense? How do they apply? And that's why I'm here. It came to me that that time that it would be a good opportunity to come up before the congregation, friends and family, and be able to share my thoughts on that subject. So would you please, before I start, uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we look back over 30 years, some of us just being born, some of us uh, being older, but, Lord, that is, it's been a, it seems like a long time, a lifetime. But for us, Olivia and myself, it's been, it has been a wonderful, wonderful journey. And I thank you for your sovereign hand upon our lives. So I ask that as, we, as I preach your word, that your word goes forth to those in attendance, that they would hear the word of God and apply it to their own hearts that they might know the great love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so like I said, how would I have approached those scriptures and that sentiment that Paul wrote uh, after 30 years of marriage? Because after all, tomorrow, August 18th, right? I got the date right, right? Yeah. <laughs> August 18th will be 30 years that we've been married. So let me just give you a brief background on us. Um, and once Olivia saw that I was coming up, she said, don't embarrass us. And I said, no, I, I said, no. 
well, we met in the winter-spring semester at Suffolk Community College, and of all classes, we met in oral communications. And looking back now over the past 36 years that we've known one another, I can see God's sovereign hand in our lives, how we met in a class, sort of an obscure class that I'm sure nobody wants to take, you know, where you have to get up and give speeches before the class and learn how to uh, uh, do that properly, as though I ever learned, uh, that we would meet in that kind of a class and that from that point on, having known one another, God brought us down two different paths for a while. But through his sovereign grace, through his design for our lives, he brought us back together. And from that time, I can see where God meant for us to walk this path, to have us do these, uh, uh, go these different routes and then bring us back together because it just manifoldly shows his sovereign will for our lives. We, in our own mind, and we try to set our own steps before us and walk the path that we want, but it's not always us who directs that path, that it is God that has his hand upon our lives that directs us in subtle ways sometimes, in other ways where it's sort of a slap again upside the head and told, no, go this way. And when we walk that path so often, we say to ourselves, why am I going this way? Why am I going that way? But when we look back and we look upon that path, we can see God's hand in our lives. Nonetheless, God did lead us back together, and on August 18, 1984, we became husband and wife. Good friends, even at times... Uh, antagonist to one another, but she keeps me in line, and I give a reason to. So, it, uh, uh, so as we sat in that church on that wedding day, listening to those words from the uh, from the uh, coming from the the uh, pastor at the time, uh, I got to thinking about them. So, I would like to share some of those words with you. If you would open up your Bibles to First Corinthians, few uh, Bibles, it's eleven fifty. Page 1150. I'm just going to go back a little bit. I'm going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 31, kind of setting the stage here for uh, chapter 13, beginning with uh, verse 20. But now there are many members but one body. Any eye cannot see, uh, say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and on and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which, which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Here Paul is pleading with a church in Corinth. He is talking to a church that is in disarray. Some people wanted to go one way, some another. This is at the very beginning of the church in history. So Paul is saying, no, you are not individual members that can just take your your various teachings, go one way and you go another. There is a unity in the body of Christ that is present, whether it's amongst the honorable members or the dishonorable members. You must come together to form one body in Christ that the world would see his presence, not in uh, chaos, but rather in the unity that he had intended. These individuals, you were no longer individuals, but rather at this time in history, with the formation of the church and the gospel going forth throughout all different lands, Paul is saying that whether you are Jew or Gentile, you come together in Christ, that there is no diversity between the two, that in Christ there is a harmony, one body, using all your separate talents. One might be preaching, one might be teaching, one might be just custodial, whatever that service might be. It comes together in the body, in the church, and it is used to magnify and bring glory and honor upon our Lord and Savior. So here we are, most ironically, that Olivia and I should meet in an oral communications class. She is most proficient at being able to speak, yet not in public. Well, uh, well, I try not to say much in, in private for the most part, but God has allowed me the opportunity to use that class and other opportunities since to be able to speak before a crowd. Though it still is unnerving, it's not easy, um, I find it a great honor that God had allowed me to be here to be up in front, to be able to preach his word, to be able to talk about the magnificent things he has done in my life, our life, and he can do with anyone's life. So that here, Olivia keeps me in check. This is why I'm nervous about this sermon. Usually she reads my sermons and kind of corrects me. Don't say this. Oh, no, take that out. Uh, Put this in. Okay, rephrase it completely. But this one was all done hush, hush, mush, mush. We, the other day I was up in, uh, in the office and Olivia goes, what are you doing up there so long? I said, well, um, uh, Pastor Mike needed some information. I'm trying to put things together. I'm writing, I'm writing. Leave me alone. But, but it had to be quiet. It had to be top secret. Actually, that we do make a good team. And I can see that now that we are sort of like Fred and Ginger. Except for, well, maybe when we dance sometimes. Uh, George and Gracie, Ricky and, and Lucy, even Fred and Ethel. Yes. 
When I hear those words, how often, since you all know us, when you hear Steve, you think of Olivia. When you hear Olivia, you think of Steve. Well, maybe not so much of Steve, but you, you know what I mean? It kind of goes together. It fits together. Even our dance school, when we, when we had it, SOS Dance. Steve and Olivia Schilling Dance. The SOS was for, you know, to rescue those who didn't know how to dance, but, uh, but it just fits together. And it, it's just the way that God had wanted it. It's the way that I write, as a matter of fact. I cannot structure a sentence properly, nor can I spell most words properly. And I know that Olivia is an excellent editor, having been a, a, a wonderful teacher for so long, that she corrects just about everything that I write so that it makes sense and it can be a little bit intelligent-sounding and, and legible. Otherwise, it's a mess. And she doesn't like the spotlight. She likes to stay in the back. God has allowed me to be the ham of the family, so to speak. When that first song comes on and nobody's on the dance floor, I'm dying to be out there. Well, when my back was good anyway. And yet we make that team where she is in the background and God has allowed me to be the front man. And, and it, just, it, it just works out well this way. If as, if, as they say, women think with one half of their brain and men think with the other half of their brain, it is a good thing that God has brought us together to allow us to have a full brain, that we have thoughts, that we can be able to overcome obstacles, that we can make decisions, and that we can do it together. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made men and women to join in marriage, that we would be one unit. If it's true that Eve came from Adam's rib or not, God did mean us, mean for us to be side by side as we go through life. He brings us together to stand as two individuals side by side, but one unit, one body, just like he had meant for the members of his church to be one body, to function as one unit, to think as one unit, and to show the world that we can together bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior. God brought us together then to, then to himself. We were uh, uh, churchgoers for the most part when we, uh, when we got married, but it, it was a while later that we really got to know who the Lord was. God had blessed us so much with two wonderful children, Jess and, uh, and uh, Chris, but he's working today. Uh, we, we were a young family, truly blessed by God. And as we were, I began working on the railroad, I got to meet a fellow who uh, was Christian, brought me to Christ. And what happened was he gave me a Bible. We would have Bible studies on a train a little bit. And one day, Olivia found my Bible in the book bag. And what's this? And from that point on, we studied together. We learned together, sometimes head to head. But we always did it together, and God had brought us through that path, whether it was trying to understand the more difficult doctrines or whether it was to serve the church. When, uh, when the, the problem arose with, uh, with uh, Chris, uh, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But Olivia was the woman behind me saying, yes, you can do it, yes, you can do it. She knew in my heart that I had wanted to do it, she knew in my heart that I would love to do it. 
to, to pastor the church. And she was the one who encouraged me and gave me the, uh, the, the push to go ahead and step out and, and do it. So I thank you for that. So Olivia uh, and I came together and we studied and, and we learned about the Bible together. And we were able to open up our, our home through Bible studies. To be, we participated with the Gideons for a while. I think Olivia gave out 100 times more Bibles than I did. But we, and she always yelled at me for getting involved. I said, you're doing a great job. But, but another interesting point was when, we did, when I became a Christian, thought, okay, now we've got to find a Bible teaching, Bible-believing church that we should attend. And I'm thinking... Um, First Baptist, and again, through God's divine hand, Olivia in the school that she was teaching at at the time came to meet a couple of teachers who were attending here, the Blue Point Baptist Church. And she said, oh, no, that, oh, you know, it's a nice small church. I heard a lot of good things, and we've been here for so long. Again, God's sovereign hand in bringing two together to be as one. So I would like to continue then with the scriptures, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's see what Paul says is the more excellent way, starting with verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions of, to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love is, does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is, excuse me, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrongful suffering, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part. But then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. You can certainly see with those words being said at a wedding ceremony for a young couple, how the, with that reading their hearts were aflutter and everything is perfect. Because you know that they are deeply in love and that it is a, a magical feeling that they have and they call it love where they're floating on clouds and the birds are chirping and the stars are in their eyes and everything is wonderful. And that's the way love ought to be uh, in that feeling. I know because I, I was there uh, 
30 years ago. Olivia was perfect. Each word she spoke was music to my ears. She was most beautiful uh, bride I could ever imagine. No faults. Life was going to be a dream. And I'm sure that Olivia felt the same about me. Handsome, smart, strong, sensitive, and I'm glad that hasn't changed. As Paul Paul writes in verses 1 through 3, he is showing the attempts to serve Christ. And, And if we do attempt to serve Christ on our own abilities, we will fail. We need to have God in our lives. He makes it clear that we need to be face-to-face with God and we need to have his full presence in our lives. No gift of ourselves can accomplish what God can do through us when we put love into that equation. If two married people are going to make their lives as individuals and try to make it through life going in two different directions, it will never work. They need to set Christ before them and walk the same path together. It is love that gives the two separate lives reason and purpose to be together, to overcome those difficult times when when they do come upon us. Without love, our lives, Olivia and I, would never have made it through together for 30 years. Raising two children is not an easy task, as any parent can tell you, but that in love in the nurturing and bringing up the children, that can be done. It can be accomplished. From my experience, taking dance lessons is no easy task either. A man must be a leader on the dance floor, and that is harder than it seems. And a woman must be a follower on the dance floor, even though the man may have no rhythm whatsoever. But without love... You would only be two people stepping upon each other's feet. You would, only, you would turn the dance floor from a beautiful dance floor into a boxing match. So it's, it requires love to get through that. Building a house together is no easy task either. When you think about all the little details, the size of the house, the dimensions, the colors on the wall, the tile, the faucets, all the little aspects of a house can bring husband and wife, two people, certainly, um, to to points where there's contention. But by God's grace, we built a house, and we dance in it, and we have love in it too. When you hear the verses of 4 through 8 here in chapter 13, it really uh, hits the heart. It hits the points where we can all agree. However, from experience, having been married for 30 years, it is not always the situation with love. But it is love that conquers all. It isn't always, love isn't always patient, kind, or, or not jealous. It does at times become uh, the times when we seek things for ourselves, when we try to provoke one another. There are times where two people find themselves at odds with one another. But it is God who has shown us the perfect love that unconditional love, which he alone can bestow. In the Greek, it's called agape, the greatest love of all, one that's unconditional, one that is always there. Because God is patient, 
as I look at my life and the times that he has attempted to call me and, I, and he had gotten a busy signal, he never gave up. He continued to call until I responded. His love towards me is the kind that is not jealous. When I try to walk alone and walk the paths of my own, my own uh, mindset, he is always there to bring me back, to say, no, I have the correct path. Walk with me, and his love never shuns. He has removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. He has made me in Christ as one who is sinless. It is through his righteousness that he allows me to be able to stand before God, to bring my prayers and petitions to him. It is his perfect love for us that that is the ideal, the goal that we need to set. So that after 30 years of marriage, I still wish my love for Olivia was that perfect. I'm sure she does too. In any case, Olivia's love for me has really been a lesson in, in what that perfect love is like. And she has taught me so much in regards to love and what it means. Knowing all that we uh, have accomplished together, that it is because of God's love for us and our love for one another. Now we look at verses 9 through 13. As two individuals, there is much we could have done with our own lives, having gone separately, but in marriage and in Christ, we have gone way beyond our expectations. Reading through the rest of this chapter, we see the word love repeated so often. God wants us to see that word because it is an important word. However, on your own, if you would, and I'll just give you a little example here uh, with verses 4 through 8. You can take that, uh, that word um, love and put the word Jesus in, and it makes even more sense. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind and is not jealous. Jesus does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. He, he does not seek his own. He, he is not provoked. He does not take into account our, wrong, uh, the, our wrongs. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And it continues. It is he who Paul wants to demonstrate to the church and to us who is key. After all, God is love. It is amazing as you look back and see what he has done with a life, one that is going one way, and now has brought two lives together to go in a completely different direction. When we were first uh, married, we were uh, churchgoers. We had our children baptized uh, as infants. But then when God had saved us and we got to know him more and more, we knew that uh, it was him who, who brought us together and has directed our lives. I'm not saying that it's always easy, but that it, with God, he takes two imperfect people, brings them together for the rest of their lives, through the pains, through the joys, to bring him glory. Two imperfect people in Christ, sinless, can accomplish much. But it is Jesus who helps us through our walk, through the stormy seas. It is Jesus who is the cornerstone of our lives, in building our lives together. Without Christ in our lives, you can look around and see 
uh, excuse me, you can look around and say what we've accomplished, family, home, financial security, possessions, etc. But those are only fleeting things. They will pass away. But with Christ in our lives, we know that we will be there forever with him. Wow, 30 years together. We've made it, uh, we've made it this far, and it seems like uh, uh, we will continue in our lives together. It would certainly appear as though we were meant to be. God's sovereign hand in our lives, showing us what direction we should take, either here and there, and that by his grace, eternally, we should be together as well. That's why I'm uh, grateful for the, as you, as, as you see in uh, Revelation 8.1, that silence in heaven for a half hour, if we're going to be together eternally, at least I know I have a half hour of silence that we can rejoice in. In, uh, in verse 13, the chapter concludes uh, really well. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Olivia, I'd like to say thank you for accepting my proposal so long ago that, uh, that allowed for that day 30 years ago uh, when we both said I do to truly start the greatest adventure of our lives together, an adventure of ups and downs and opportunities for us to grow together in our faith, in our God, and, and with each other. So we start this adventure uh, so uh, when we started this adventure, um, there was a lot of hope for a good life together. But it is through our Lord and Savior that he has answered those hopes and brought us together for a more excellent life, that we had the opportunity to serve him, that we would not be just two people who got together and came to church, but that we had the pleasure and the privilege to serve him through different ministries. And that's truly what is, is a great thing about uh, being together through this, through this walk. There is a, uh, a couple of verses in the book of Ruth that I'd like to read that I think are most appropriate at this time that apply to us. As Ruth was t- uh, said to her, actually she says it to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but these words apply to us as well. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts us, you and me. I love you, and I know that you love me. So I'm going to ask you again. Would you marry me? Because we happen to have a a pastor here that can do that. Olivia, would you come forward?
stand before us as an example of the blessedness of matrimony. And the Apostle Paul commends this before all men. And he says this. He says that husbands are to love your wives. I'm going to bring you through Ephesians in a moment here. But now, in the presence of our Lord, and in the presence of all of you who are, I'm so grateful, and I'm imagining they're so grateful that you are here to witness all of this, that we get to see and we get to learn of all the experiences that the Lord has brought both of them through, and the amazing things that have happened in their lives, and how they are binding together their hands, their hearts, and all that they are, and all that they have. So, Steve, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 29, you read, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy, cleansing her with the water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives with their own lives. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. And just as Christ does the church. Steve, nearly 30 years ago, you pledged to your loyalty to Olivia as your wedded wife. In the presence of God and in the presence of this blessed congregation, our friends and our family, will you now recommit your life with Olivia after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Do you promise to love her? to honor her, to keep her in sickness and in health? Will you vow, forsaking all others, that you will keep yourself only unto her, so long as you both shall live? Olivia, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, we are told, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So Olivia, nearly 30 years ago, it always causes a lot. Olivia, nearly 30 years ago, you pledged your loyalty to Steve as your wedded husband. In the presence of God, in the presence of his blessed congregation, in the presence of our friends and family, will you now recommit your life with Steve after God's ordinance? in the holiest state of matrimony? Do you promise to love him, to comfort him, to honor and obey him in sickness and in health? Will you vow that forsaking all others, you will keep yourself only unto him so long as you both shall live? Can't kiss me yet. <laughs> now I ask Steve, can you hold Olivia's hand, please? With the, and I ask you to repeat after me. With the giving of my heart, with the giving of my heart, I renew my vow of love and loyalty. I renew my vow of love and loyalty. With sincere affection and with all my worldly goods. With sincere affection and all my worldly goods. I remain steadfast in my vow. I remain steadfast in my vow. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. And the Son. The Son. And the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. And please keep holding his hand. And Olivia, I ask you to repeat after me. With the giving of my heart, I renew my vow of 